When I was like 10 years old, I dreamed my friend and I were robbing a department store and we had to dress as women to pull it off. Why? I have no idea. But from Twelfth Night to Bosom Buddies to Fiction Mania, dressing as a different gender to gain admittance somewhere is a time-honored trope and tradition. The confusion that frequently comes with it is usually played for comedy, but in the cinematic classic She's the Man, Amanda Bynes experienced gender dysphoria from seeing herself in convincing male makeup and attire for weeks on end. She described it as an out-of-body experience and that she went into a deep depression for four to six months because I didn't like how I looked as a boy. Which if that's not a classic control case for dysphoria, I don't know what the hell is. But I digress. The point is that in many places in history, including a very popular dream of mine as a young child, people have pretended to be a different gender in order to accomplish a goal. Access has been limited by gender presentation for many reasons throughout history, and although this sounds like I'm about to talk about bathrooms, I'm actually going to swerve in a much more interesting direction. Spies. Our subject tonight was an international woman of mystery, in more ways than one. This is Our Sacred History, a podcast about the forgotten stories of transgender people, a part of the Totally Trans Network. I'm Katie Coleman, and this is the story of the Chevalier, or the Chevalier, Dayon. Are you a boy or a girl? I'm an adult. Okay, but what's your gender? Knight. Okay, but what's in your pants? The King's Secret. Or something like that. Sometimes sex and gender are complicated, and because we're dealing with history here, there are certain things we'll never know. Many of the subjects we've had on so far are guesses, and I do my best to respect what we know about these people and not misattribute things that may not actually be true. But in the case of our story tonight, the mystery is kind of the story. Born either Charles Genevieve Louis Auguste André Timothée Dayon de Beaumont, or Charlotte Genevieve Louise Augusta Andrea Timothea Dayon de Beaumont. Listen, I took like six years of French, but it remains, how do you say it, médiocre. So, um, give me a little leeway with these names tonight. Thank you. Dayon, as we will call them tonight, was born in 1728, in the last years of the reign of Louis XIV. By the age of 25, they had published two popular books, one on the history of ancient governments and the other on French finance. The latter became so popular in Germany that the King of Prussia used it as a foundational text for his government. The Prince de Conti, a French nobleman who had read these books and was so impressed with Dayon that in 1755 recommended them to King Louis XV for the Secret du Roi, the King's Secret, a gang of spies who served the king even outside the knowledge of the rest of the government. Conti wanted to align the courts of France and Russia, which required the favor of Elizaveta Petrovna, the Empress of Russia. A difficult task. So just like every Halloween party I went to in high school, Dayon said, I'll dress like a woman. In this disguise, they became a reader to Elizaveta and gained her confidence, trying to make France look like a strong ally, stop England from trading with Russia, and turn the French faction in the court against the growing Habsburg family which controlled most of Europe at the time. They were able to secure an alliance with Russia for the Austrian Wars of Succession, 
and on subsequent trips to Russia, Dayan pretended to be the woman he was originally disguised as brother, and became a trusted ambassador to the Empress, eventually securing the relationship between the two countries during the Seven Years' War, which tore Europe apart and is now considered the first true world war. Dayan had to outwit the Russian Chancellor Bestushev, who was keeping the Russian army behind and indirectly keeping France from the spoils of their treaty. Dayan was able to poison the Chancellor in the mind of the Empress and was successful, getting Bestushev fired and replaced with a French ally. Dayan enjoyed the great success and remained a trusted diplomat in Russia, or at least until the Empress died and her successor was deposed. For this, they were awarded the Order of Saint-Louis by the King, which gave them the title Chevalier, a knighthood, like Sir Elton John. In between trips to Russia, Dayan became a military hero, winning battle after battle as a dragoon, which is just a cool name for a mounted knight, and meant they carried a gun, nicknamed Dragon because it spit fire. In 1763, at the age of 35, Dayan was sent to London as ambassador and spy, but her enemies conspired against them. Dayan had the trust in the ear of the king, and people like the Madame de Pompadour resented this and Dayan's financial advice, and so set out to remove them from service. Things like her extracurricular activities of dressing like a woman and the circumstances of the first mission to Russia came up, and Dayan was ridiculed by their peers, and worse, speculation about her gender became the talk of London. The London Stock Exchange offered odds on her assigned gender at birth, and on more than one occasion, Dayan had to fight to escape people looking to examine her by force. Luckily, she was an extremely accomplished fencer, probably the best in France at the time, so she won these fights, but what a terrible ordeal. Dayan's rival at the time was the Count de Guerchy, who became her replacement as ambassador. Dayan was demoted to secretary. De Guerchy attempted to poison Dayan, who survived and fought a long court battle to prove it happened, and if y'all have ever watched a spy movie, you know how hard it is to press charges against an ambassador. Dayan disobeyed orders and returned to France, giving up her 2,000 livres annual pension. After being strung along in the system by de Guerchy and his friends, Dayan was eventually victorious. De Guerchy was fired and exiled back to France, but Dayan's position was gone, and their reputation in their home country tarnished. The king gave Dayan 12,000 livres, a lot of money at the time, and told them that although they were in exile, they remained the ambassador in everything but name only. A few times she tried to return to France, but it was made a condition of her return that she return in feminine clothing, so she refused. Crushed by debt and burdened with no small amount of French documents, she was finally able to return in 1774, after the ascension of Louis XVI. This was when the Secret du Roi was dismantled, and Pierre de Beaumarchais, the famous playwright of the Marriage of Figaro and all-around Renaissance man, represented France in the negotiations with England. Dayon arrived in court in her dragoon uniform, but was immediately asked by Marie Antoinette to present as female. To this, she accepted. One contemporary account says, This eccentric being had long solicited permission to return to France, but it was necessary to find a way of sparing the family he had offended the insult they would see on his return. He was therefore made to resume the costume of that sex to which in France everything is pardoned. The desire to see his native land once more determined him to submit to the condition, but he revenged himself by combining the long train of his gown and the three deep ruffles on his sleeves with the attitude and conversation of a grenadier, which made him very disagreeable company. 
and then basically presented as female for the rest of her life, some 33 years. She began referring to herself as the Chevalier d'Eon, the rare feminine version of Chevalier, the word for knight, although she still wore her dragoon uniform regularly. It wasn't a happy life, however, as whispers of her birth sex dogged her, not to mention the idea that the literal coffin full of secret papers she returned with from London were thought by many to have been blackmail. She herself probably would have dueled anyone for that accusation and remained fiercely loyal to the king throughout her life at her detriment. It seems she was once offered 1.2 million livres for the paper and refused, so it seems like if she was blackmailing the government, she did a terrible job of it. She made her way back to England, where she was beloved by the society women and began claiming that she had been pretending to be male all along. She told the French government she was AFAB and demanded a birth certificate that said the same. She claimed that she had been raised as a boy because, without brothers, no one could inherit her father's estate. Louis XVI probably doubted the veracity of this case, but gave her a birth certificate anyway, which is a hell of a lot better than the state of North Carolina will do for me in 2022, I'll add. This made her legally female, and the demand of the court was that she would be trusted as such, and that she must please stop wearing that damn dragoon uniform. She agreed, and she was given a singular exception to wear the insignia of her highest honor, the Order of Saint-Louis. She also insisted on a fund for a new wardrobe, which she was eventually given, and after over a year of negotiations, returned to France in 1777, but was banished to Tonnerre, her hometown. When the American War of Independence began, and France joined with the Americans, they all asked to go with them, but was prevented both by her banishment and her legal status as a woman. It's fascinating to think that if the banishment wasn't in place, we might have had, in addition to Lafayette, the Chevalier d'Eon, running musket drills in her hoop skirt. The government tried to get her to enter a convent, and when she continued to demand the government allow her to go to war, she was arrested and thrown in a dungeon for 19 days. In 1779, she published a memoir, La vie militaire, politique et privée de Mademoiselle d'Eon. It was ghostwritten and full of lies and half-truths, but I'll focus on that word mademoiselle, meaning she never married. And in fact, in the research I've done for this podcast, I couldn't find any mention of a romantic life at all. She was married to the sword, it seems. The French Revolution left her destitute, and she had to sell most of her possessions before finally returning to England in 1785. Her family estate was seized by the Revolution, and she made ends meet by fighting in exposition duels with men, which I imagine must have been incredible to watch, because even in her 60s, she was very good at it. In 1787, Dayon took part in a fencing match at Carlton House, London, the home of the Prince Regent, later called George IV. Dayon fought against the Chevalier de Saint-Georges, an extremely accomplished composer and virtuoso violinist, and considered one of the best fencers alive. He had a fascinating life, and someone who does podcasts about cis people should totally do an episode on him. He was incredible. He was 20 years younger than Dayon, and sources seem to be conflicted as to who won the match, so I'm going to go with our girl. In 1792, she sent a letter to the new government asking to lead a battalion of women soldiers, but was again turned down. It seems every opportunity she had to be the basis of a kick-ass biopic. History turned her down. She lived the remainder of her years with a widow and was ill from old wounds and a particularly bad fencing accident from 1796. She was in England throughout Napoleon's rise to power, and we can only speculate what the two thought of one another, because she survived until 1810, five years before Waterloo. 
After she died, the newspaper obituaries remembered her for her questionable gender, and the surgeon published his post-mortem inspection, which stated, Male organs in every respect perfectly formed, while at the same time displaying feminine characteristics. A couple of characteristics described in the certificate were unusual roundness in the formation of limbs and breast remarkably full. And the latter is the same thing my mom said to me the first time she saw me after transition, so that's relatable. The legacy of the Chevalier seems to have been forgotten today, but she was widely remembered for a while after her death. In 1910, Bram Stoker wrote an essay on Deon in his book Famous Impostors. With his limited information, he blames Antoinette for sullying the good name and masculine nature of Deon by forcing the poor knight to relive an embarrassing moment from the past, basically blaming a woman for embarrassing a man, which, surprise, surprise, was very common at the time, and all time, and now. Stoker wrote, But considering the time he lived in and the dangers which he was always in the thick of, in a survey of his life, the only thing a reader can find fault with is his yielding to the base idea of the flighty-minded Marie Antoinette. What, to this irresponsible butterfly of fashion, was the honor of a brave soldier or the reputation of an acute diplomatist who had served well of his country? Of course, to her, any such foolery as that to which she condemned Dayon was but the fancy of an idle moment. And then the fancies of queens at idle moments may be altogether destructive to someone. Shade. Dismissing Marie Antoinette as a simple child was a favorite topic of amateur historians until the late 20th century, but it's also likely Stoker didn't even really know much about Deon's later life, and he doesn't even mention the birth certificate in his essay at all. In 1928, British psychologist Havelock Ellis described what we would call gender dysphoria today as Ianism, after our girl. Which isn't a bad coinage, I don't think. There's worse trans celebrities to be grouped with. Jesus, they could call us all Jennerites, couldn't they? So while the story of the Chevalier is complicated, what I've told you might not be 100% true, and we might not know exactly what gender or pronouns she would have used in a modern setting. I've done my best to try and paint the whole story tonight as concisely as I can, switching from they, she pronouns to she, exclusive pronouns, after she got her birth certificate changed. In my mind, Dayon is a classic ace, she, they, queen, and you're free to interpret the facts as you will. As a spy... She's probably pleased at the confusion left in her wake. Thanks for listening. I'm Katie Coleman. As always, I have included a list of sources in the show notes, but they are not formatted in any particular style because I'm not in college anymore and I'm tired. If you want to reach out to me for any reason, you can find me on Twitter at Katie of the Lake or email me at totallytransha at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, we've always been here. And more importantly, we always will be. So that is the last episode of our pilot season. Um, This is the end of the pilot season. So we hope you liked it. We're going to take a little break and we're going to come back with full episodes of Totally Trans, Searching for the Trans Canon. And we will all be back. I believe I can say that. We will, we will be continuing to do these uh, in a matter of time. We're, we're taking a short break and then we'll, uh, we'll be back. Um, trans minisodes with Henry and uh, Ada Rhodes and Jack talking uh, comics on transmissions with another Earth. Uh, we really appreciate your support as we grow this podcast network and hope to create and foster the community we have. You can support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Podcast Addict, or whatever apps you're using and are doing reviews these days. 
You can also support us on patreon.com slash totally trans, where you can get access to episodes early, bonus episodes once a month, and an invite to our Discord, which isn't turning into the party hangout we had hoped, but you can all change that very soon. We also have great shirts and other merch at both TeePublic and Redbubble. Also, if you are interested in sponsoring us, let us know because we would love to work with queer and trans creators and not just sell you mattresses and meal kits. Trans creators like... NerdyCuppy.com Quality Queerwear is a trans-owned and operated family apparel and accessory business in Portland, Oregon. As their name implies, they can drape you in affordable, gender-affirming fashion from head to toe and even offer a selection of home goods besides. So whether you're in the market for a dapper button-down or a dress with pockets, Nerdy Cuppy will literally have you covered. You can get 10% off your order at checkout with the discount code TOTALLYTRANS, all one word. So remember, visit nerdycuppy.com, that's N-E-R-D-Y-K-E-P-P-I-E dot com, or use the easier to remember, it has pockets dot gay. Use discount code TOTALLYTRANS for 10% off at checkout. And thanks again for listening. We also have some cool shirts and stuff on TeePublic and Redbubble. And because we live in a capitalist hellscape, uh, we're also searching for sponsors. So if you want to sponsor us, you should let us know because we would absolutely love to work with you instead of just like companies who want to sell mattresses and meal kits and stuff. Yeah, we can, I'm not going to say their name, but we can start advertising for a grocery delivery service. And we aren't sure we want to do that because we'd much rather be collaborating with queer-owned businesses, so... So, yeah. Yeah. Collaborate with us. Please, free us from the shackles of this hellscape. So we have a Patreon, and if you back us at patreon.com backslash totallytrans at $5 or more, not only can you join our amazing new Discord server and join in the conversation and uh, send us messages... Hmm. But you also get thanked on this show right now. Uh, this week we have one more backer at $5. And it is, I'm going to destroy your name. I'm so sorry. Amanda Roan Indange. In Amanda Roan Indange. I think it's, is it Swedish? Maybe. We don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm so sorry Tell that us. we're as American as we are. <laughs> I am Canadian. So <laughs> okay. I. I, but you can't I, pronounce it either. <laughs> no, not at all. I poorly speak three languages. <laughs> so, Amanda. We appreciate you as much as we appreciate dog. 10 out of 10. No notes. <laughs>